You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported. Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting remotely for WFHB, this is Benedict Jones. And I'm Noelle Herhusky-Schneider. This is the WFHB Local News for Wednesday, December 22nd, 2021. Later in the program, COVID-19 cases are on the rise across the state as Indiana reported its first positive case involving the Omicron variant. More in the bottom half of tonight's show. Also coming up in the next half hour, Log4J Mess on Better Beware, your weekly consumer watchdog segment on WFHB. But first, your environment's news brief. From WFHB, this is your environmental news brief for Wednesday, December 22nd. I'm Benedict Jones, filling in for Nathaniel Weinsapfel. A recent study from the Indiana University Department of Geography has found that the burrow holes left behind by the cicadas that emerged last summer will help improve water quality in the local wildlife areas. The holes in the ground allow water to infiltrate the soil and help hydrate plants, which allow them to grow more and become stronger. This will eventually lead to cleaner water and less water runoff. This will be more of an occurrence in rural areas, as human activity has largely compacted the soil in the urban areas where the cicadas emerged. West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin has decided not to vote in favor of President Joe Biden's Build Back Better plan, resulting in the Senate Democrats not having the necessary 50 votes to allow the legislation to pass. With no hope in sight to save the legislation, it is likely that this will lead to devastating consequences in the efforts to combat climate change by not meeting the emission-cutting pledges under the Paris Agreement. A large portion of the legislation was meant to promote cleaner energy and help reduce pollution, key steps in the fight against climate change. Despite this setback, some members of Congress are optimistic for its future, including Massachusetts Senator Ed Markey, who hopes that the specifically environmental portions of the legislation take a new form in a different bill. According to NASA, the most environmentally friendly Christmas tree is an actual tree from a tree farm. While many people think that plastic trees end up being more beneficial to the environment, this is not the case. The amount of carbon dioxide that a real tree would take in and convert to oxygen in the 8 to 12 years on average it takes for a Christmas tree to grow is much more beneficial than a plastic tree. No matter how many years you reuse an artificial tree, it will eventually be thrown away and may take a thousand years to decompose. Instead, many cities often collect Christmas trees to grind them up into mulch, which helps more plants grow. If you want to be more environmentally friendly this holiday season, a real Christmas tree is the perfect addition to your holiday festivities. That's all for your environmental news brief. For WFHB, I'm Benedict Jones.
On December 15th at the Bloomington City Council meeting, the council discussed designating the Reverend James Ferris House as a historic district. Historic Preservation Manager Gloria Colombrania shared the significance of the house and the role Reverend James Ferris played in Bloomington's history. So this is an I-house. Uh, I-house is known for having a chimney on either side. Uh, recently, you were able to, you saw the Smith, Thomas Smith house. This is very, very similar. It is a sibling house uh, made of locally sourced materials. So not only the bricks, but the wood as well. Um, it can, let me see, it does contain an architectural style detail or other element in danger of being Last, this type of architecture is, uh, there aren't a lot of samples left in Bloomington. Um, most of the windows and doors are original. It does exemplify a built environment, the built environment of an era it, of history characterized by this very distinctive architectural style. President of the council, Jim Sims, supported the designation and wanted to ensure the documentation would be made available as official records moving forward. I find it interesting and fascinating as well. And uh, this is not a direct question, but I was wondering if uh, the information that we're using to document uh, can in fact be documented or recorded in some fashion uh, to become permanent records uh, of, of this property moving forward. So uh, it's not a request. I just wonder if it could be done. So it'll be part of the records and fabric of that property. So we don't have to It'll be part of the official record, the handwritten documents and all those sorts of things. So something to think about. The council voted unanimously to approve designating the Ferris House as a historic district. The next city council meeting will be held on January 5th. At the Bloomington Commission on Sustainability meeting on December 14th, the current president, Jarrett Alexander, announced he will be stepping down from his position on the committee and noted that there are vacancies that need to be filled. First off, we have three vacancies on the commission. I know I brought this up last time, but if you have someone you know who you think would be a good addition, encourage them to apply. I don't know uh, where the mayor's office is on those appointments. I think all three of the vacancies are uh, mayoral vacancies, plus we have the vacancy um, from the IU Office of Sustainability. Uh, so just making sure that we're, we're getting new people uh, joining the commission to fill those spots. Um, on that note, I also did want to share that next semester I will be uh, studying abroad in Sweden, and so uh, I will not be um, accepting another term on BCOS. Um, so it's a little bittersweet, but I have been planning to study abroad for a while and I'm looking forward to it, and so I will be uh, stepping down as chair and then also leaving the commission after the January meeting. So I just wanted to make you all aware um, so that the transition is as smooth as possible and we can get everything situated beforehand. Assistant Director of Sustainability Lauren Clemens added that it looks like there will be five vacant positions and reminded residents to apply to the commission sooner rather than later. She said that officer elections normally take place in July and proposed that they amend the bylaws to have the officer elections in February or March. Clemens also reported that Confront the Climate Crisis reached out to the commission. Someone reached out to the city from this group called Confront the Climate Crisis, and it's a grassroots movement, um, asking if our commission would be interested in supporting their campaign. Um, 
we don't need to take action on this at this meeting, but I wanted to encourage you all to check out the website and consider if at the January meeting, we'd like to, as a commission, write a letter of support. Um, and for more details, the link is in the agenda, but it's confrontaclimatecrisis.com slash our campaign. And generally speaking, it's a group um, that's looking to advocate that the state take more action on climate, in particular certain activities like advocate for the state to have a broader climate action plan. Um, so I uh, just wanted to point that out and offer that at the next meeting, I will follow up in old business and see if that's something that the group's interested in, in writing a letter in support of. She said that she will bring up writing a letter of support for Confront the Climate Crisis Organization at the next meeting on January 11th, 2022. At the Monroe County Council meeting on December 14th, the council heard a presentation from Financial Solutions Group on sustainability of the revenue and spending plan. President of FSG Greg Garitas shared a financial analysis with regards to Monroe County's fiscal stability and the effect of possible annexation. What we've done is we've set forth the projections. All of those assumptions that I build in the page right here, believe me, we know a lot, of, a lot about all the different revenues. I, I spoke in over eight conferences last year uh, or this year on budget, county budgets. Actually gave the county budget presentations for the Association of Counties. And so um, really use some intelligence, so to speak, to back up those. But this is a key that when we use the, the factors and we develop the overall plan, there may be negatives. And keep in mind, I call that making you aware of where you're going and maybe ultimately what you have to do is say, wow, we're going to have to adjust some things before we get there. And so that's really important to keep in mind with this document. Councilmember Marty Hawk commented, saying that the public safety fund will take a hit if the annexation takes place. This is where we will see a, a rather large difference uh, if the annexation should go through. I mean, all of the others will see an adjustment we'll have to make too because we rely so heavily on that 1% income tax. But this, we, we switched a lot of expenses over into this pay, public safety income tax and the city's going to get a much larger proportionate share of this. That's correct. And that's correct. Through. So that's really, I think, what, uh, of course, we'll know a little bit more next month about where we might end up. Um, but that's where we're going to really need you to help us. Giritas shared that he thinks the budget might need to be a bit tighter in 2023 and that there will be tough times moving forward. Up next, COVID-19 cases are on the rise across the state as Indiana reported its first positive case involving the Omicron variant. We turn to Nikki Stewart Ingersoll for an update on the local response to COVID-19.
On Sunday, the state health department reported the first known COVID-19 case in Indiana involving the Omicron variant. Monroe County Health Administrator Penny Cottle says the county remains in the orange advisory category. All 92 of Indiana's counties are either in the orange or red in the state's color-coded map. Keep in mind that an orange advisory level means the seven-day positivity rate stands between 10 and 14 percent, while weekly cases per 100,000 residents lie somewhere between 100 and 199 new cases. For the red advisory category, it's 15% or greater for the seven-day positivity rate and 200 or more new weekly cases per 100,000 residents. Mayor John Hamilton said infections in city employees have risen to unprecedented levels. Again, our quick update on uh, local uh, employment stats. We had nine more positive employee cases this week uh, with the 11 last week. That makes 20 in two weeks. That's a level of uh, infection that we have not seen before. Uh, so that's very concerning. The CBU, City of Bloomington Utilities numbers that I share were pretty steady uh, at the um, pretty elevated rate, 160 at Blucher and 600 at Dillman in terms of um, RNA copies per 100 milliliters. Uh, those are uh, up substantially from the, what they were a few weeks and have been steady for about two or three weeks now. We continue to prepare for the Occupational Safety and Health Administration OSHA rules, um, uh, working to be sure we're ready for that going forward to assure that our employees either are vaccinated or are testing regularly to protect against uh, the further spread of that disease at the workplace. That being said, there is a lot of concern about the next several weeks. Uh, of course, folks watching the news can see that uh, as we watch Omicron and as we see the surge happening in Indiana in our area. Uh, we are literally canceling office parties. We did that just this week uh, uh, to, to try to reduce the risks of that. I know other events are getting postponed as need be, and let's just remember to put it in the Put it in context. That can be a smart thing to do. We can come back and, and make up for that, uh, those events, and do them later. Cottle provided an update on the latest COVID-19 numbers during last Friday's local coronavirus press conference. All 92 counties are, are in an orange or red advisory. We did have a slight decrease this week. We have 260 cases per 100,000 which is down from 279 last week. And we had a slight decrease in positivity as well. Now, when I look at those numbers today, I would say that we're gonna be in that same ballpark, probably hovering between the la this week and last week, if our numbers hold true. Our fully vaccinated rate is 58.7%, fully vaccinated and 59.2% have received a first dose. So we are nearing the rate of uh, fully vaccinated that we had prior to adding our five to 11 year olds into our eligible populations. So we want to continue to see that rise. And we're glad that we're seeing people uh, interested in getting those vaccinations. This past quarter, our public health clinic has given over 6,000 vaccinations with over 2,500 of those being in children five to 11 years old. That, that is our public health clinic. That is not talking about other venues, providers, pharmacies, mobile clinics. 
Cottle advised residents to take precautionary measures ahead of the holidays as increased travel could lead to a higher chance of transmission. It is a good opportunity as we come up to the holidays to get your booster, to get a test if you need it, or to even start your initial series of vaccine before those holiday gatherings. On Monday through Wednesday this week, the Indiana State Department of Health will offer a testing and vaccination clinic from noon to 8 p.m. at the Switchyard Park Pavilion at 1601 South Rogers Street in Bloomington. All vaccines, rapid antigen, and PCR tests are available on-site. Cottle reminded residents to visit coronavirus.in.gov for testing purposes and ourshot.in.gov regarding vaccines. When Friday's COVID-19 press conference took place, the Omicron variant was not yet identified in Indiana. However, Caudill predicted the variant would soon arrive, and she urged folks to get the vaccine. She said unvaccinated people are at higher risk for hospitalization and death from COVID-19. In November, the Indiana Department of Health did report that 81% of the COVID cases, 82% of COVID deaths, and 94% of COVID hospitalizations were in those who were unvaccinated. Breakthrough cases are still, they do occur, but they are still a very small percentage of all the cases. A recent study from the Commonwealth Fund found that if there had been no COVID-19 vaccine available in the U.S. starting last year, there would have been an additional 1.1 million deaths and over 10 million hospitalizations in the U.S. As holidays continue to be celebrated and we we make our plans to gather with family, I ask that you take a moment to pause, assess the risks around you, and do what you can to reduce the risk of illness, not only to yourself, but also to those that you care about and gather with. And I wish you a safe and a healthy holiday. County Commissioner Julie Thomas shared Caudill's concerns on the virus before the holiday season. She encouraged residents to continue wearing masks and to receive the vaccine if they have not already done so. This is a really uh, important time in our community and across the state and the nation. Uh, I just want to first and foremost thank all of those who put um, the community first in everything that they do, and it starts uh, with our um, healthcare workers um, who have just done a heroic feat in keeping us safe. And we cannot thank them enough, but the best way to thank them is to get vaccinated and to wear your mask when you're out um, outside in public, um, in a public space. Um, that's going to be what's really important here. And it's just a good reminder. Um, we really appreciate having another vaccine clinic, um, which is excellent and excellent news, and we do encourage those who have not yet been vaccinated to please um, utilize that service. Meanwhile, IU Health's South Central Region President, Brian Shockney, says the hospital system has seen its highest number of patients since the pandemic began. IU Health President Brian Shockney shared that this week is the one-year anniversary of the first COVID-19 vaccine administered in Indiana. 
This week, the IU Health System as a whole experienced the highest COVID-19 inpatient census since the pandemic began. While we also celebrated the first year, one year milestone of the first vaccines given in the state of Indiana. We didn't think one year after the vaccine became available, we would see our highest COVID-19 volumes to date. That just seems unreal that we have a vaccine and we're and we're in this state of highest numbers of inpatients in our hospitals. Statewide, positive cases by day are starting to level off, which tends to be followed by a similar trend in the following weeks in our hospital inpatient numbers. While we're cautiously optimistic, the holidays with its related parties and family get-togethers are here. It's imperative that we all take precautions during this time. Um, our January and February can be a good January and February and not the same as December if we do the right thing. Indiana University Chief Health Officer Aaron Carroll reported on the Omicron variant and what IU expects in the next few weeks. You know, clearly everybody's concerned with uh, both increases in cases across the state, uh, as well as the fact that Omicron is, is likely already here. If not, we'll be here soon. Um, IU finished off the semester, or we're finishing off as we speak, um, reasonably stable. The number of cases the last two weeks have been quite stable and are lower than the week before, which is great. Of course, everybody is headed home uh, for the most part in the next day or so. And so I expect the next few weeks to be reasonably quiet for us. Next semester, however, will be influenced heavily by you know, whatever Omicron seems like it's likely to bring. If you're looking at, you know, places across the country, it is clear that it is very rapidly spreading uh, and that, you know, we just did something we absolutely need to be watching and concerned about. Um, I expect that more data will be coming in over the next few weeks and we'll be continuing to watch that. But at the moment, uh, we're holding tight. We're going to be encouraging boosters strongly as we can, uh, trying to get everybody boosted, if, you know, as soon as we can. The next COVID-19 press conference will be held on December 31st. Up next, the log for JMS on Better Beware, their weekly consumer watchdog segment on WFHB. Host and producer Richard Fish says there's a newly discovered computer vulnerability that affects everyone and everything. Fish provides basic information and the best ways to stay safe. We turn to Richard Fish for more. Welcome to Better Beware. Here's your consumer watchdog from WFHB Community Radio with the latest information and helpful hints designed to keep your head out of the clouds, your feet on the ground, and your money in your pocket. We've got a big problem. Me and you, whoever you are, this time it's everybody's problem. Everybody that uses a computer, a smartphone, or any digital device, that is, it's called the Log4J vulnerability. That's L-O-G, numeral four, letter J, Log4J. 
This is a bit of open-source computer code that's used worldwide in gazillions of programs. It's a way for computers to remember or log computer activity, and the log is used for troubleshooting, auditing, data tracking, and so forth. A couple of weeks ago, hackers discovered a serious flaw in Log4j, one that let them take control of computers and servers, steal information, and insert viruses and malware, including ransomware. It was a huge, wide-open backdoor. About a week later, the flaw was discovered by some good guys and announced. A few days after that, a second Log4j flaw was found. Now, the good news is that patches were immediately issued to fix both flaws. But the bad news is that Log4j is so widely used that it may take years for all the programs that use it to be discovered and patched. Discovered? Yes. Log4j is so common that even computer experts and programmers may not realize it's embedded somewhere down in their software. Companies like Apple, IBM, Oracle, Google, and Amazon run Log4j, along with who knows how many apps and websites worldwide. As of last week, over a hundred attempts every minute at Log4j hacking were being detected. So what can you do about it? Mostly, you can do the things you've been advised to do already, but now it's much more important that you do them. Things like use strong, complicated passwords, a different password for every account, and change them often, but not at regular intervals. Use two-factor security whenever you can. That's when you log in with your password and the website sends you a security code that you have to enter as well. Have a good security program on every device, no exceptions. Keep everything updated. Every program, every operating system, every app, and every digital device you use, including things like video games, home routers, and smart appliances, make sure you're running the latest version of the software and will always keep up to date. And finally, keep a sharp eye on your accounts your bank account, broker accounts, retirement accounts, credit card accounts, anything with money in it. Check them often and ask immediately about anything you don't understand. This is a very serious problem, and right now you're probably doing a lot of holiday shopping online and digitally keeping in touch. You know, a Yule log is a venerable holiday tradition, but if you run into a log 4J, you'll be the one getting burned. I'm Richard Fish for WFHB News and Public Affairs. Better Beware comes to you from WFHB Bloomington, Indiana. Find all our episodes at WFHB.org. If you can help put the kibosh on a con, email beware at WFHB.org. Remember, swindlers never give a sucker an even break. Support for WFHB Local News is brought to you by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. More information online at mpisolarenergy.com. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News. Today's headlines were written by Noel Herhusky-Schneider in partnership with CATS, Community Access Television Services. 
Better Beware is produced by Richard Fish. Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. Engineer and executive producer is Cade Young. For WFHB, I'm Noel Herhesky-Schneider. And I'm Benedict Jones. Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent daily news program. You can hear tonight's full broadcast online at WFHB.org. The WFHB Local News is also available as a podcast. Just search our call letters WFHB wherever you listen to your podcasts. Subscribe to never miss another local news program. Stay tuned for Cool Solutions, climate action from the bottom up. Coming up next on WFHB Community Radio. WFHB Local News on WFHB Community Radio. Our news is written and reported by volunteers working to provide local news, cover local issues, and strengthen our local community. We invite you to participate. You may submit questions, comments, and story ideas to news at WFHB.org. You can become a WFHB Local News Volunteer by attending new volunteer orientation. Feel free to check out the WFHB Local News Archive at WFHB.org to find newscasts, individual stories, and catch a live feed of the WFHB Local News. We are local, longer, 